Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel you're going to find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is going to be on there. You're going to find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts all that you can follow along with and the best part is that it's completely free they're also around 10 to 20 minutes long meaning if you're short of time you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout new workouts will go live on the channel every tuesday and thursday and they're going to be accompanied by an amazing backdrop which i'm sure you're all going to enjoy so if you want to find the channel just search elliot hasoon into youtube and you'll find it very easily and please subscribe it makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Hello team and welcome to episode 256 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Lewis Neal. Lewis is an online health and fitness coach who helps his clients achieve their results whilst maintaining balance in their lives. Lewis has been integrated into the world of sport and health and fitness for years now and has dedicated the most recent years of his life to helping those he works with. Lewis's approach is very relatable and he's not focusing on those who want to compete in bodybuilding shows or powerlifting meets, but simply focuses on those who want to have a better quality of life by improving their health and wellness. In this episode, you can expect to learn what Lewis thinks about six to 12 week transformations, how he maintains downtime and balance in his life, and what he learned through training and participating in his first ever marathon. So without further ado, Lewis Neal. Lewis Neal, welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you for having me. I'm very, very well. Thank you for being here. I'm excited to have you on. And for those who might not come across yourself before, can you give us a bit of background who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, so the majority of people that you speak to, I'm in the fitness industry. I'm an online coach fully. I look after a group of individuals. We have a few coaches who look after them as well. And we specialize in basically interesting mindset and balance with work as long as alongside your health and fitness. Amazing. And when it comes to your own health and fitness journey, when did that all begin? I've always been like a, a sporty background. So I think it started when I was about seven or eight when I started football. Again, we sort of tend to come from that area in the UK. I was pretty good at football. So I was at Liverpool, Everton. I had trials at a few different clubs and sort of lost love for it, to be fair. Transitioned into like Thai boxing and, and MMA, which is a completely different space, but really, really found it from a discipline perspective and benefit towards fitness. And then did that for like seven years, had a few bouts, etc. And then moved into the gym space to accompany that to get a little bit bigger a little bit stronger and then from there just never left the gym ever again (laughs) (laughs) and what was the reason behind losing your love for football I'm intrigued do you know what I think I've recently don't want to get too deep with it but recently I think I've found out why I've started everything that I've done and that's down to always the fear of not being good enough so when people are shouting down your ear, you know, you could make it, you could do this, you could be pro. And, and having that pressure when you're like seven or eight is, is, is quite a lot. And then, you know, I'm trying to prove a point from that perspective. So when it got to like 13, 14, 15, I just weren't enjoying it. I felt like there was so much pressure. I just wanted to have a, have a kick about, play well. But there was so much pressure in, in order to like get to a certain level. And I think that sort of put me off a little bit to be fair although I'm a very driven guy as you can probably tell my own businesses were driven but at that point I just wasn't ready for that pressure yeah it's an interesting one isn't it because I feel like it's something that there has to be a level of pressure in order to get people to where they want to be given the fact that there's so yeah the amount of spaces is so finite and there the amount of kids especially young boys and girls I guess these days who want to make it pro is enormous especially in somewhere like the UK so there has to be somewhat of like a push in the right direction but it's like how much can you push someone to the point in which they break? And the kids are so young, right? And like you said, it's like seven, eight, and nine. And I, I remember being in that same position as well, because I played football at that age as well and getting shouted at from the sidelines. And it's like, it almost comes down to how 
your character is when you're a young child, but like, how are you supposed to even understand who you are and what you are at that stage to facilitate that? Cause I look back and I'm like, could have I have done it? Could have I had like really, because I look at the mindset I have now and you probably do the same. I'm like, could have I really like pushed myself to get there? I'm like, I didn't even have any metacognition when I was like seven, eight years old. I didn't know like who I was, what I was. And it's like, yeah, it's a tough one. And it is interesting. So I had a friend who did go pro and I remember thinking like his childhood seemed super strict. His mom was super like hard on him, like taking his PlayStation away if he didn't score at the weekend and all that type of stuff. I'm like, look at him now. He's pro. I think he used to play for Reading. He might even like play. For, I don't know who he plays for the these days. But yeah, you wonder like, which is the right approach? Do you ever like have regrets of like, oh, maybe I should have done, you know? And you, yeah. Do you ever think about that? Yeah. So like I had this, like, had this conversation last week in the barbers because one of the lads who I used to play football with was actually there and he was saying you could have been being something and explaining that to the barber. But yeah, I always felt like, you know, could I have done things differently? Like obviously if I was to train the, the way I train now and have the mindset that I do now and put that into football, of course I would have made it like having that discipline around routine and training and actually putting in work to have a goal and same with like nutrition, having actually education around how to fuel yourself properly, the reason behind training, because we used to think training was like, okay, you know, you go and practice kicking a ball and, and become better at kicking a ball. But obviously it was to increase fitness, which is going to help you with performance throughout the whole day, throughout the whole league, whatever. So looking back, Again, things could have been different, but again, I wouldn't be in this position now if it wasn't for all this stuff that's happened. So I can't really complain. Mm, yeah, things things have to be the way they are, right? Like they can happen for a reason and it's all about finding the meaning within it. It's always interesting. I always think that the knock-on effect that my future kids might have in that perspective and like potentially my learnings are to help those in the future as well. So transitioned onto the world of Muay Thai and MMA, if I'm not mistaken. So what did you learn from there and what was the thing that appealed to you the most? Because it's quite a transition from two different sports. Yeah, like honestly, and I'll tell you another story in a sec, which transitions even the opposite way, which again leads into where I am today which is weird it's like so Muay Thai and MMA what I learned was so the reason I joined was to increase fitness so obviously I wasn't a good football trainer so I wanted to increase my fitness in another way went there fell in love with the sport of Muay Thai most importantly is because of the discipline behind it like I, I think people any sort of child any sort of kid who's coming up should be involved in some sort of martial art and that's not because you know self-defense or anything like this it's just the discipline that you learn if it transfers into life like it's scary and I think it all comes from at that age again I was 15 16 when I first fought going through a diet you know weighing in the discipline behind not being able to go out with your mates or whatever that discipline with training five six days a week whatever it is all stemmed from that but then that's led into again where I am today and what I was going to say about the opposite was like so obviously I'm, I'm this Thai boxer I'm six foot three I'm 100 kilos and quite a big guy and then I, I transitioned into doing a drama degree so it's another little like and then that's led me into obviously being a content creator and having the confidence that I've got now to speak etc so I think everything goes full circle football to tie to to drama I've, I've done everything to be fair yeah, it's all built you up to where you are today. It looks like there's quite a lot of transferable skills as well. And on that note, what took you down the direction of helping people the way that you do today? Because I can see the interest from a personal perspective, wanting to get fitter, loving the discipline aspect. And then when did that channel over into the people that you help today? Do you know what? I think uh, every time I've looked back, I've been service-based in terms of the jobs that I've done, down from call center jobs to being a waiter to being you know in the shop it's always been service driven like i want to make this customer happy and that's how it always has been and then i got to a point probably with the restaurants was like i'm not being recognized for the work that i'm doing to help these people and they're only allowing me to go to a certain level with the service why can't they do this why don't we have this why are they waiting so long for this and that's completely out of my control so everyone always tells me my parents is that you'll never be employable it's because everything that i do is based on how well i perform so if i know i'm going to put in the work i'm going to be rewarded with that Whereas in the past, every time i was doing a job for someone else or for a company or whatever i wasn't being rewarded for it 
But it was also very, very frustrating that they weren't doing as best as they could to help this person. And I think that's where it's always stemmed from. And I think that's only obviously my adult life. I don't think it's stemmed from like my childhood or anything like that. But again, it's just naturally fitted into that. It's just making people happy and making people better. And then I had this conversation again, like last week about we're sort of seeing as like an influence in terms of like inspiration, you know, what we've, what we do, how we look, whatever it may be. Being aware of that is sort of helping people that people look up to in some way and you can help them get there it's a no-brainer that you want to coach them or you get to coach them yeah absolutely i've always thought of it as like a, a silent superpower like i didn't realize anything about it until i think i worked in a body transformation gym for the first time and then it was the first moment i do take this like very seriously when someone says it and at the time it, was, it took me back and they're like you know you've literally changed my life and i was like Really? And, and I, then I realized that, well, you know, there is the ability to do that because people's health and wellness is a massive, massive thing. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, well, that it's not that it's easy for me, but it feels somewhat effortless. And I feel very congruent with the methods I'm using in order to get you there. So like you said, it's almost like you feel a duty to do so. And it's very rewarding to take someone through a process, give someone the, the basically the key to the equation that they've been looking for for years and years and years and do it in a way that feels ethical and feels like you're not just putting them on 800 calories and telling them to run a marathon every day like you are doing it in a way that impacts their life beyond just the way their physique looks right exactly that like and i i was the same i wasn't aware of what i was doing or the work that i was doing and these quotes were sort of like be brushed over you know you've changed my life oh yeah no problem at all that happens because it happens often and it's like you're not aware of how much impact you're actually having on your on people's life and obviously a self-reflection you know if you're helping 50 100 people at a time you must be doing something to, to someone's life do you know what i mean so like that definitely is a massive sense of achievement and it, it, as i said it comes effortless to us it doesn't seem to be something that is rocket science towards us because we're so in love with that process i think and as i say it's just a, a duty of care it's like if someone needs help is my duty to help them and that's what we love to do if you don't like your job you will never be a coach I was recently asked about that as well. And someone asked me, do I give a little bit less like effort to certain clients? And I was like, I mean, I've been in situations in the past where (laughs) I always bring back this story that I was on the gym floor and there was this, basically I worked in Oxford initially and there'll be like a lot of university students where their parents would pay for personal training. So they wouldn't really care quite as much as some others. Some would, some wouldn't. And I had this one guy and I remember him like sat in the gym reception eating McDonald's literally before our session, like literally could not care less. And I was like, I can't invest 110% energy in him like I do everyone else. Otherwise, I'm just going to be frustrated and disappointed. So there has to be this healthy amount of like, okay, I'm going to give you a lot, but you kind of have to meet me where I'm at. But at the same time, I was asked the question recently, I'm like, I almost can't give someone less. Like I can definitely come from my, if you're at your McDonald's in a reception, then, you know, and if you're asking me to push you hard on your nutrition, then, you know, I'm going to do my job, of course, but I'm not going to go above and beyond the same way I would for someone who's like desperately trying to achieve something who's all in. But I don't know about you, but I just like, I can't, level back on the care that I give for people. I might be able to level back on going over and above, but I can't level back on the care that I still have for the person who's in in the reception at McDonald's. No, exactly that. It's it's an energy exchange at the end of the day. So like they've came for you to help them, but they have to do something on their side in order to do it. So as you said, we'll never drop down the service for people or anything like this, but there has to be something from their side. The more that they give you, the more that you can give them. And I say to my clients every single day, you know, if you message me every day and you sent me phone videos every day, and if you did everything all the time, it would not bother me. It'd mean that I have to do more work, but it would actually make me feel better because it knows that I'm actually putting as much as I can into you. Whereas once you get that, you have people that do that and then you have people who don't do that. Again, I'll put the same amount of energy into the people, but there's got to be some sort of exchange. And and unfortunately, we can only do so much. And one thing I've realized recently is protecting your own energy. You've got to protect your own energy. So I know of like horror stories of like, coaches and stuff but you know if someone doesn't check in for example it's our duty to then message them and go what's going on i've seen that everyone checked in is everything okay i've heard of stories that people don't even do that like don't just leave people and you know it's their job to message out which it is but you've also got to follow up with these people because obviously they're waiting for someone to give them support of course that's all it needs how are you is everything fine i'm here if you need me then on the other end, you've got someone who's messaging all the time, checking in all the time. And it's like, okay, I'm still giving the same level of service due to what they've given me or what I can go off. 
but it's only based on what I've got in front of me. That makes sense. Yeah, hundred percent. It's about adapting to the person in front of you, right? And just like I, said, I feel like I will always come in with a little bit more energy than the person is potentially giving. And if someone's giving one hundred and ten, I like to think I'm giving one hundred and fifteen. If someone's giving eighty five, then I'm there giving ninety. And it's it's just a case of determining where they're at, not based on what you think, but based on what they give you, and just trying to also dig beneath the surface and just be like, is this person actually struggling, or are they just not actually committed right now? And I think it's all always about thinking, well, if this person is still working with me, they're still committed somewhat to their health and wellness. So it is my duty to follow through until the point in which they say, nope, I'm done with this. And I'm personally someone who doesn't believe you should give up on your health and wellness. I'll challenge that as well. So yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. And on that note, your health and fitness journey currently, have you got any goals in mind of what you want to achieve? Because I know you did the marathon, I think it was last year, Lisbon marathon. I've got a couple of questions about that and what you touched on in terms of protecting your energy later, but I'm keen to hear what's the next goals for you in your own fitness journey. This link of the back of the marathon, which I struggled after the marathon with like having clarity of where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. Because someone like me is, is quite a massive goal. Again, coming from someone who's not really a good trainer or especially in the running space or the endurance space. So now I'm at the position where I've been enjoying training again, most importantly, and then we're doing like a, cl- a client progress shoot. So in these progress shoots, it's, it's the first one that we've ever done. And I, I'm always keen to try new things. And it's not like you're not going to go and take your top off and be completely shredded and be tanned up. It's just to basically show off the progress that you've made in however way that may fit you. Whether you want to take your top up, that's absolutely fine. If you want to do pull-ups, if you want to, whatever it is. So that's in about 12 weeks time. So I've got a lead from the front. I'm doing the same thing. So I'm going to get a little bit leaner, start to work towards that. But that's the short term goal. And I was debating towards the end of the year of swapping it completely, of doing like a, a powerlifting meet. So last year I did the marathon and I wanted to do a powerlifting meet in the same year. It didn't happen, unfortunately, but I just want to do two opposite ends of the spectrum. So I might look into doing something like that, but I just like to be challenged to be fair. That's epic, dude. I'm excited to hear about the progress on that front as well. And I like the idea of the progress photo shoot as well. It's, it's interesting because photo shoots have become really popular and it was almost initially, it started as a way of being super inclusive to the like people who, because before it was just health and fitness models and it was body, it was bodybuilders and it was health and fitness models and it was coaches. And then it became anyone who wanted to, but then it became a little bit exclusive because you had to get to a certain point of leanness in order to do that photo shoot. But it's great that you're opening up the door for like, well, yeah, you don't have to take off your shirt. You can just demonstrate the progress you've made even if you've even if you've got 30 kilos to go and you've already dropped 10 kilos so i like the idea of that as well but on that note as too i want to go through some of the lessons if you were able to go back in time and go speak to lewis maybe within the days of the muay thai and mma about to start his fitness journey what three lessons would you go teach him good question number one would be keep going so I know time, things get tough and there's always going to be challenges, challenges as a business owner, challenges as a person, challenges, whatever in life, just keep going because there's been times where, you know, I've worried about problems that don't need to be worried about. I'm always trying to, like my missus always says to me that I'm always trying to pick problems. So when everything's going absolutely swellingly, I'm trying to look for something that's not right. So I'd say like, keep going. Yeah, definitely. The second one links that I'd be like, everything will work out. So I can't, I can't explain this. And I think obviously you would resonate from this because you come from the similar sort of background with energy and the universe and stuff. But I've always knew that I'd be successful. I don't know on what level or where that is, where that's now, where that's in the future, where that's before. But I, that's always been in my head in some way. I'm going to be successful. Like it's non-negotiable. So like, again, that links to like keep going back in the day is because I was quite lost when I was doing Thai. I was, you know, I was just out of school. I was in uni. I was going to do drama just because I didn't know what else to do. And it was the only thing I sort of enjoyed looking back because I should have done business or something because I, I do enjoy that. But I was quite lost. I went to Sri Lanka traveling because I on my own because I just didn't know what to do with myself. So I'd be like, you know, everything will work out and you will get to that position that you, you want to get to. You just have to keep turning up every single day. And then number three, be disciplined. So keep being the discipline that you've got right now because I was disciplined when I was doing Thai, when I was dieting, et cetera, and putting that discipline into every area of life. So whether it's the business, whether that's my fitness, whether that's seeing family, whatever, that discipline or routines is, I think that is, is, is massively important for make sure you've got balance in your business, balance in your personal life, balance in your fitness life is having discipline. So obviously if sometimes things go up and some things come down, but if you've got discipline to know exactly this is what needs to be done, this is a non-negotiable, these are my barriers, it works out quite easy and you can be really productive. You can have all these things spinning at one time when it's under control. 
I like those a lot. That's really solid. Really three solid takeaways. If only the little Lewis knew that, at least he knows it now, right? <laughs> so I've scanned through your Instagram quite a lot. You put out some really solid and relatable content as well. So I appreciate you doing that. And I've gone through some of the questions I pulled away based on some of the consistent themes and narratives that you go through. So I want to get started on getting your take on six to 12 week transformations. Where do you stand when it comes to six to 12 week transformations? Interesting question. So I think there's always a time and a place for something. Don't get me wrong. But what I see all of the time is like people want from a coaching perspective, just want to have volume of clients, i.e. income for these. And number two, there's no education off the back of it. So if you do 12, six to 12 week transformation, for example, how are you, what are you going to do after that? I know that's the most common theme or the most common answer probably is, but it's true. It's like what I'm massively into is educating people on why they are doing what they're doing and how they are doing it. I put on a post uh, on a story the other day about, and it clicked in the head. It's like these short-term plans, for example, people are buying into your, this is what works. We know this works from what I've done, but it takes no consideration into what the individual needs or does. So your life is completely different to mine. The next person's different to them, etc. So you're trying to make these all fit into the same bubble, which yet you'll get a handful of people who, who will work in there. But the majority of people are not going to work in that. There's no consideration for people's actual lives and what they need and, and how they're going to get to that point. So I'm not a massive fan, I can probably tell. But as I said, there's always a time and a place depending on on the goal, the individual, medical conditions, etc. So there's always a time and a place, but I'm not a keen fan on a short term plan. If someone comes to you as a client, do you then lead them down that direction. If they're like, I've got six weeks for a holiday or 12 weeks for a holiday, is that someone you would take action with? And would your methods be slightly different to someone who's got a more long-term vision in mind? Yeah, so we have like, again, it's about managing expectations at the end of the day. I'm not going to throw something into the ground, but there is ways of doing it depending on what they want to do. Committed-wise, you know, rapid fat loss, properly like Martin McDonald stuff you can do. No, No doubt about it. When I diet, I prefer to do it a little bit because it's faster. You know, I can get it done, but I know how to come out to the side of it, which is the most important thing. So we take every client through a roadmap of like um, priming them. So this is what I don't get with other things is like priming is basically a couple of weeks to get to know the clients a lot better. What are they actually up to? How does their week to week look? What does their nutrition look like? Do they actually train? That sort of thing. And then they take them to a progression phase. So that progression phase is basically phase one. If it's fat loss, it's getting to the point that you're happy whether that's in six weeks time, whether that's in six months time, that's what we focus on in that priming phase. So we always know that we, we're going to get people in a position, but then we reverse them out of that. So we put them into a you know, performance phase, which basically means we're going to bring up your food and teach you to get out of that dieting mindset, get back up to baseline where you maintenance and then show you that, yes, you can still fit in more food, you can eat more foods and still maintain the physique that you've got and develop on top of that. So whether that's short term or whether that's someone who needs to lose 50 kilos, we just manage the expectation with it. But we always know that we're going to get you to a certain point, whatever that may be. But a massive but, it's it's important for us to then swap you out of that dieting mindset and put you into reverse diet slash a performance phase. Yeah, I'm curious about your success rate with reverse diet and performance phases because I found there's been a lot more interest in it recently. There's been a lot more people investing in that time thereafter as well. But quite often when I used to work with people like years and years ago, it was like the date that I want to end my plan is literally the day I go on my holiday or the day that I go to my wedding, right? And now it's like, eh. you know, to be honest, I'm I'm fortunate enough. And I think this comes down to the content that I create and probably that you create as well is that most people have this idea in mind that there's something beyond just where they get to their goal. And then like, I don't just want to be in shape for this holiday. I want to be in shape for the long term. So how's your success been with taking people through the reverse diet? Because I feel like that's quite a new thing that all of us coaches are probably trying to engage with now. I feel like it's always been there. It's been there for a long while, but it's not been so integrated within the plans that we create with uh, people, the people we're currently working with. Yeah, I think like, I think you know, I get that person, you know, I want to get in shape for holiday and then you want to diet down to the last day and be lean and then no expectations. Like I did it previously, like I've dieted down to a holiday, but then I've gone on holiday and absolutely just went 
ape because I'm absolutely starving. I just want to eat everything inside. So we sort of do is like, I, I try and educate people. That are, we're trying to try and stop the diet a couple of weeks before your holiday and start to introduce foods. Otherwise, you're just going to go away and, and try and smash the buffet. That's what it's managing that. But to be fair, like as you said, I think you can probably tell from the type of content that we put out. Like I think, I think an average lifestyle for my clients on average is around nine to 12 months. So we're, we're pretty good at getting them to a position, reversing out of that. Again, whether that they want to, whether they want to start to build on top of that, or whether they just want to stay for the accountability, for the community, for the tribe. We're, we're pretty good at doing that. But I think um, I think people have realised this is that, you know, especially after coming off like an eight-week plan or a six-week plan, people are going back to square one. And that's not, that doesn't happen by accident. It's obviously due to something not working. And that tends to be the education around how do you come off a diet, which people are not patient in doing. Mm. And I think expectations and education are probably the two keys to a successful reverse diet. But do you see any correlations between those who have success? Because I know that there are some people who just can't manage to get themselves to keep that same mindset that they have during the fat loss phase. And that reverse transition is pretty tough. So is there any correlation between the clients who have success and those who don't when it comes to a reverse diet? Yeah, I think, um, again, I've recently thought about this quite a lot because obviously when you're fixated on a a fat loss phase, for example, you're focused on getting leaner, you're focused on getting tighter, you're focused on that number coming down, then pants coming in tighter. When you go into reverse dieting phase or a growing phase, for example, the the metrics of success has got to change and it's got to be a sense of you're going to get a little bit fluffier. So you need to focus on what you are wanting to do, i.e. performance-based goals. You've got to be aware of the long-term vision. You've got to be aware that, you know, although your physique might not look as, as good as it is right now, it's going to be a lot more sustainable. You're going to have a lot more energy. Your performance in the gym is going to be a lot better. And then I always challenge people, you know, in the performance phase, I should expect you to set some goals, whether that be a half marathon, whether that be doing something and working towards that because the goal setting's got to change because you're so fixated in the fat loss phase of coming in leaner and looking better. Unfortunately, when you reverse diet and go back into a growing phase, you're not going to look any leaner. So... It's just managing that and letting people understand that and being patient with it. I've been really patient with it. So I just make people aware of that. We'll bring food up a little bit, see how you are. We'll bring food a little bit more if you need to, see how you are. And most of the time they get on board with that uh, and they're fully aware of that. It's quite a tough thing though for a lot of people, definitely. Yeah, I think it's that mindset transition, less so physically, because I think physiologically after me, like, I mean, two initial couple of weeks, you find that it depends on the calorie increases that you put, that people are still pretty hungry and the metabolism starts ramping up their, you know, their expenditure within gym and life goes up. So they actually can be a little bit hungry in those first couple of weeks, but then maybe by week three, physiologically, everything's much, much easier than it was like three weeks, three or four weeks ago because of activity is significantly reduced, food is higher, but it's psychologically, it's like, especially if it's someone who's had success within their journey for the first time in their life, it's like for once, after, let's say, I don't know, 30 to 50 years of focusing on that number on the scale going down, they've now got to be okay with it staying where it is or going up for the first time. So is there any tips that you have for managing people's mindsets? Yeah, I think the goal setting is actually absolutely huge. And as you alluded to, like focusing on what your body can do versus what it looks like now. But is there anything that you found to be quite effective? Yeah, as I said, like the performance thing is definitely important, but you've got to you've got to be a, I think you've got to weigh up the options, you know. The the questions that you ask are massively important. So do you think that you can sustain where you was for a long period of time? The answer is probably no. So at some point you need to have more food. And that's where I suppose the question clients say like that and they're like, that's true. I'm like, well, that's where you need to be now. So like, I know that I can be a lot leaner than I am now, but where I sort of sit allows me to still have the flexibility in my life that I like and still be in relatively good shape. I, I preach that to clients, you know, uh, we love going out for food on the weekend. We love date nights. We love having uh, a social life, but we still want to keep in shape. You can't be super, super lean, sub 10% body fat and, and have that, but you can have that with a little bit more and a little bit more flexibility. So as I said, I, th- I think it just comes down to the questions that you asked and, and the trust that they have in you. But if anyone's doing it, any tips for people, I would be like, just trust the process and uh, understand that like, again, it's, it's a constant process. So it's not, you're not going to be fixated on where you are right now. You might go up, you might come down again, but it's a long-term process. You know, I started my journey at 70 kilos when I was fighting and I was like, I was at an eight pack and I was 70 kilos and I was sitting around 95 and I'm obviously in the same sort of level of physique. So as you can see, it's a constant, it's a constant progression on where you want to get to, but yeah, don't be fixated on the, on the weight, be fixated on your lifestyle, education around your nutrition and your performance ultimately, because 
celebration of what your body can actually do. 100%. I also think recognizing, as you alluded to just there, what stage of the journey that you're in as well. It's like, okay, if you aren't genetically blessed, I think in terms of your physique, I think you're a little bit more genetically blessed than I am. So you get an advantage on me there. But like when between my years of starting, I don't think for the first five years or so, I even got into what would be considered decent shape if you saw a photo of me. But I was progressing for me. But now I'm in a stage where, just as you mentioned, it's like, I like going out. I like to I drink wine from time to time. Like I can do all these things, but my physique kind of remains the same. But that is me having that. If I tried to do that when I was like one or two years into the process, it wouldn't have worked. So it's also about understanding like later down the line, once you have this experience, once you are able to kind of do things a lot more effortlessly, like you will have the ability to to live that. I'm not saying you have to wait 10 years, but just bear in mind what stage of the journey that you're in. I think sometimes we look at people and like, oh, you know, well, Elliot can do this or Lewis can do this. I'm like, yeah, we've kind of been doing this for like 10, 15 years. I couldn't do this in the first couple of years, but you weren't here watching my journey because of I wasn't posting on Instagram. I was just working on my body and I don't even know if Instagram existed. So it's like, you know, that's the that's the reality of it. So it's an interesting one as well. And something you're extremely vocal about, taking a little a bit of a slight left turn here is downtime. I've noticed that you really emphasize the importance of that. And it looks like you do a good job of keeping it within your lifestyle as well. So how do you maintain that with all the commitments that you have? And as we've just alluded to as well, like you wanting to stay in shape, you having health and fitness goals, how do you do that personally? And how do you encourage your clients to preserve the downtime that they create for themselves? Yeah, so obviously this just came off the back of TMP, Kieran, uh, and that sort of involvement in that. But I said, like, it's about balancing things. And I think for a lot of, a long time, I was really focused on business a bit too much in terms of like everything else was sort of stopped. Now I'm very aware, again, luckily, people see me as a little bit more of the authority. So I, I can sort of, people can trust me to, you know, if I might need a day off, I need a day off. So every single Saturday, I take a day off. I don't do any work on a Saturday. I don't open a laptop. You know, I put my phone on, I've got two, sim cards on one phone so i've got a business sim and a personal sim i switch off the business sim unless i want to which is again a different thing and then i try and have a little bit of downtime throughout the week so one thing that you might find yourself is like i struggled massively with how much time i actually had because the systems that we've got in place are pretty good you know we've got people looking after stuff which is amazing but for me i was like i've got this time now that I can either one work on the business, which I love to do, or two, I can go and play golf once a week. <laughs> so I do, I play golf once a week as well to switch off or switch on to something else. Because if you ever play golf, you can't think about anything else, otherwise your head goes. So um, golf on a, once a week on a Wednesday, and then I take Saturday completely off. And then moving into like socializing and stuff is like, as I said, we to the position that we're in right now, I can go out and eat food and be absolutely fine. Like my maintenance calories, we're talking like three and a half thousand just based on where I'm at. I know that not everyone's like that. I sort of talk to my clients about the importance of boring days, fun days, and when to bank calories, when to have a break. You know, if you if you just got engaged, I don't expect you to track your meal. Like that sort of thing. I'm, I'm a human, but I'm a, I'm a coach, but I'm a human at the end of the day. So like we encourage our clients to, yeah, I want you to be able to still eat out. And our clientele is more like not binge drinking, but like meal out with the fr- family or friends or, or missus or, or husband, or whatever, glass of wine. And we want to try and include that into our, into our life because that's what we enjoy. But obviously I'm not one of the people who says you can do that. And then I go and put you on chicken and rice. We, you can actually do that but there's got to be some sort of a fair exchange again somewhere, somewhere else. So we, we educate our clients alongside that. But yeah, I've, I'm getting better at taking downtime. Probably a li- I could use a little bit more help with it. But yeah, I'm getting better, which which what, what matters. Mm. And what's helped you get to a place where you're like not feeling, I know that personally I felt like eh, I should, could be doing more than just more of that sense of like guilt around taking time off. So what's helped you get to a place where you're able to go for that session of golf or take that Saturday off without feeling the need to like open your laptop, for example? Think through routine and having structure. So like every day has got a plan. So Monday, Tuesday, Friday, client focus days, for example, off the top of my head, Wednesday, Thursday are business days. Are you doing this podcast on a Thursday? And then I know by Saturday that everything's done that I need to do. And same on Wednesday afternoon, you know, I know that if I do a work block in the morning, I start work at 7am. Like it's what time now? It's 20 to 8. I start work at 7am. So I know that I can get a good work block out between 7 and midday. And then I can then go, that's a normal day for me. I'm being very productive. I've done work and I can, uh, I can afford to take the afternoon off. So I think having structure to your week, what needs to be done, the big rocks that need to move forward. But as we spoke about before, it's just like 
just being patient, just enjoy the journey. Like there's a million things on me to do list that I want to implement down the line. Do I want to do all of them this week? No, but there might be days where I go, right, I'm going to get stuck into that today. And that's due to how I'm feeling and where I'm at. If I've had a bit of stressful week, I'll have a little bit more downtime. If I'm ready, ready to go, I maybe have a little bit less downtime. But I think having that structure to days and having that, you know, as long as that's done, I'm happy. And then everything else off the back of that is an extra. Yeah, I think what you mentioned just there on the to-do list is super important. It's like that to-do list is always going to be there, right? Like it's not going to, well, it might, yeah, exactly. It's not going away. It's only going to get more and more on there. So if you wait until that moment, until it's a little bit clear, then it's just going to fill back up again. And this is the thing as within the nature of getting more productive, you free up more time to add more things to your, to your list. Right. And I don't know who said this recently, but it's like, if you get emails in your inbox and you respond between five in five minutes, then you're going to be the one who gets more emails in their inbox. And it's like, you're a victim to your own productivity. So yeah, you're hundred percent right in the sense of like, Let's not wait until my my to do list is clear. There's always going to be stuff there. Let's see what we can do to implement this downtime now and acknowledge that as long as I get the things that I need to do done, then you know those other things can come in time as well. So on that note, are you big on morning and evening routines? Yeah. So again, morning routines is like is something that's changed down the line or over time. Sorry. So like now I've sort of because I came off the gym floor in March, I always used to be in the gym every single morning, but I've realized like that's, that's the time when I'm most productive that I'm willing to put in a, quite a lot of work. So nowadays it's like, okay, I start work at 7am every morning. I go to Starbucks, even though I've got a nice, lovely office, I just go to Starbucks for a couple of hours and then I train. And then I had that work block in the morning really sets me up. So I had that, uh, just getting clear for the day where that's just posting on Instagram and sorting out content where that's some client focused stuff. I, I'm really big on on starting the day how our intend to go on and i think just getting a step ahead is massively important and then evening routines i'm pretty pretty rigid with my routine i do i don't i can't remember the last time i went to bed past 10 o'clock maybe half 10 at a push for a long like a long time so i have downtime of like switching my phone off at 9 a.m 9 p.m that goes on do not disturb that hour between 9 and 10 is when i sort of settle down i start to switch off instagram around 8 30 something like that so you could say that was a good routine to get into, but I'm not, you know, I don't go to bed, meditate, etc. journal, not, not a that. It's just whenever I feel like needed. So sometimes, especially this month, because it's been quite stressful, I tend to do whip out the journal where I feel like I need to write stuff down and just get a little bit more clarity, but that comes and goes depending on how I'm feeling. But that's a good thing. Who knows? But that's what tends to work for me. Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to is like what works for you. And I think that you can have this super elaborate routine or you can have like this minimal effective dose one and whichever brings you the most return on investment is the one you want to stick with, right? Like I think I've gone to both ends of the spectrum and the same with health and fitness as well. It's like, okay, I want to do absolutely everything. Like I want to meditate, I want to chant, I want to journal, I want to do, you know, I want to do some grounding, I want to do absolutely everything. And then you're like, well, I haven't really done anything that's moved the needle forward in terms of my goals this morning. Yes, I feel great from a personal standpoint, but I'm also in the back of my mind thinking about all these things that I need to do. And yeah, I've just found that, okay, well, I just need to do like two or three things in the morning, made me feel great. And then two or three things that set me up for success in the evening. And like that is usually the key. So it's, I think it's one of those things that a lot of people believe in that it has to be like this elaborate morning and evening routines to be successful. But I found, yeah, that minimal effective dose has been super effective. And on that note as well, that is something a lot of people believe in. And is there anything within the realm of health and fitness that you keep hearing recently that a lot of people are believing in and a lot of people are promoting that you just don't absolutely don't agree with whatsoever? Yeah, so I might get slated for this, but one thing one thing I see all the time is kettlebells. A lot. Like like a lot. I don't think a beginner should pick up a kettlebell, like unless the it's quite a difficult technique and a difficult piece of equipment to use. So I see that quite a lot and I know the benefits of it, etc. Especially, you know, out of lockdown that most people could have access to a kettlebell. I get that, but I sense to be like, this what a lot of people focus on because they, they think it is the thing that works when basically just being consistent and resistance training, a little bit of movement is going to be the thing that works best. So that's the thing that I see quite a lot, but I'm trying to think of like, from a nutrition standpoint with things, there's obviously always stuff that's flying around. And to be fair, um, I, I sort of blank out other fitness areas like, I don't really follow many coaches. I mute a lot of people just to set my headspace and where I'm at. And as, you, as we spoke about before the podcast, like our circle, I, we try and focus on what, we, what we've going on. So I don't really see any sort of external stuff, but there's always stuff going around. But off the top of my head, the amount of kettlebells that get used and that sort of thing. 
I'm not too sure at the minute. No, I hear you. It's almost like when lockdown fully kicked in and everyone started becoming a gymnast and doing handstands everywhere. They, you know, it's like, <laughs> I'm like, I love the desire and the intention, but I'm just, I'm super worried for your shoulders and you injuring yourself by falling off the side of your mantelpiece or whatever. But yeah, no, it's an interesting one because of a kettlebell. I don't think it's to say a kettlebell is bad, but like I said, a hip hinge with just a barbell in your hands or a dumbbell in your hands is a pretty complicated movement. And then you move that to something that's swinging around is very, very dynamic. And yeah, no, I see that. I, I don't think I've seen as much prevalence of it as maybe you have, but I can definitely see your perspective on that as well. So with that being said, I want to transition now. And we touched on this earlier in terms of the Lisbon marathon that you did. And obviously that was, you know, it's fair to say it was out of your comfort zone. And I think you're pretty emotional once you cross the finish line as well. So I'm keen to hear what you took away from that experience. And I know there's a lot of people who contemplate doing their first half marathon, even their first five or 10K and their half marathon and their marathon. So what did you personally get from that, especially for someone who's been within health and fitness for so long? Yeah, so it was one of the best things I've ever done. And the reason for it is because, so basically, first and foremost, Simon and Kev, who you're aware of, they were doing it and they were like, do you want to do it? I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Why not? Let's just get involved. Again, I can't can't point out the fact that it's complete opposite to what I do. Complete opposite. I don't run. I'm a really bad I'm really bad at cardio. I'm really bad at like movements. I'm, I'm just known for being strong and lifting loads of weights. That's what I'm known for. So it was a massive step out of my comfort zone. But the reason I was so emotional at the end of it, and again, there's be pictures on this on my Instagram, is that it just clicked in terms of the process of like, it wasn't the marathon, which was the good, the, the, the thing that was the, the you know, the, I, that was the icing on the cake, like just finishing that. But I would look back at the like last 12 weeks and I was like, I used to run every Sunday morning for like two and a half hours on a Sunday morning, whether it was wet, whether it was dry. I remember being absolutely drenched and still being out there. I'm running on a Monday, I'm running on a Thursday every single week. And in that process of like becoming better and doing something in order for this big goal was really, really overwhelming. And then on the other hand, it was like, is this it? Like what now? And sort of like a sense of like lost. I was a bit lost. Like what do I do now? I've done it. And then that's where I think that struggle with me training after that. Like what direction do I go in? Where do I go with this? But I was just emotional that I actually did something. And um, it was the process that really it sparked something in me. Looking back and being like, oh my God, the thing that I've sort of sacrificed the work that I've been putting in. I had a couple of falls and stuff when I was running. I'm just a big draft that, that got included. So I, I vlogged this as well on YouTube. So it's the only vlog that I did. There's four parts to it. So if people want to go and check it out, you can go and see it. But yeah. Dude, that's incredible. And so what, when it comes to the running that, and when you were approaching like those final miles, were there things like going through your mind? Were you reflecting on it then? Or was it literally just that finish line moment? Yeah. So like, again, throughout the, like this is like a couple, this is what I mean by it. It was just, just meant to be like, all camp, we call it camp. All camp, I had headphones. I bought brand new Dre Beats because they lasted a long time. I put them in my ear. I ran with podcasts, I ran with music. On the day, I forgot my headphones. So for four and a half hours, which I was really pleased with, I ran with no headphones. On the day, it, it wasn't sunny. It was dead misty. It was slightly raining, which is not like mm. Lisbon in, in that no, time. Yeah. yeah. So like everything sort of aligned with that. And then um, towards the end, I think 22 miles, 23 miles, people say you hit that wall. I hit that wall with cramp just because I didn't feel properly with electrolytes, et cetera, throughout the race. And in my mind, I was like, I don't know if I can finish this. Like physically, my quad and my hamstring were both cramped, which basically means you can't bend your leg, but you can't straighten your leg. That's where I was sort of at. Smashed down an electrolyte tablet, tried to see, okay, this should work as soon as possible. Let's try and get this going. And I sort of hobbled over the line over the last three miles or so. But yeah, just that, you probably see the, the video of me finishing the line. I was just so slow, but I, just that I wanted to get it done. And no matter what, like I didn't have any, I had a time in my head of four and a half hours. I came in at what, 4.29. Like, again, it just happened. But like, I wasn't like putting pressure on myself to, to try and smash it or to hit any sort of personal best. I just wanted to complete it and understand like, at the time, running is one of them things which is horrible. It's challenging. It's not nice. But the accomplishments of, once you finish it, the run is high, is amazing. So that's what, the thing that was driving me throughout the whole thing. Yeah, it's fascinating. I'm very intrigued by doing something like that. And I, yeah, I definitely would love to do it in somewhere like Lisbon as well, which sounds like a fantastic one. I've heard it's a very hilly route, right? Is it? Well, it's one of the flattest ones in, the, in Europe. So that's why we chose it. It's a very hilly place, but because it's right along the coast, it was just basically flat. So yeah, that was one of the reasons that we chose it. It's because it was a... Uh, 
<laughs> okay, that sounds like a good idea as well. And on that note, like the one thing I would be concerned about more from a physiological standpoint is how did you stay injury free throughout, or did you? I was pretty, I was pretty good to be fair. So what I was doing is I increased the amount of uh, times I've seen my sports masseuse or optimal performance. His name is Chris. Shout out, Chris. We went to like once a week, once every two weeks to get a little bit of rub down, get a little bit of a, a movement, especially coming in closer to the race. So I put a lot of emphasis on mobility and recovery, which is again completely something that I don't do. So I think the a couple of weeks out, I started to get a little bit of a foot injury. And I think that was just a little bit of, of a mindset thing, getting close to the race and being like, okay, like it is weird what your body can do. Like I think Simon had the same thing with his lower back. Whenever he starts to get stressed, he has pain in his lower back. So he starts to get a little bit of an ache in his lower back. I think it's just a, it comes with the mindset of your body understanding I've got this to happen and this is coming up. But yeah, luckily stayed there pretty industry. I did have COVID which did affect things for a couple of weeks and it did affect me fatigue levels in the following weeks after having COVID. And that was about eight weeks out or something like that. So it wasn't ideal, but as I said, we just, we had no choice. We got a date. That's when we were going to do it. We just had to get it done. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love that. I can't imagine, yeah, all the lessons that came from it. And I want to check out those vlogs now as well. Yeah. Honestly, the vlogs and racing, something that I love to do, just like, again, just track the whole progress of what we were doing. So, um, yeah, I did enjoy doing that part, but I just love love creating content and love trying new things. Yeah, I'm definitely going to look out for that as well. And we've mentioned a few different names throughout this podcast and a few people that we mute, a few people that we look towards. Do you have a lot of people within the health and fitness industry that you look up to? Yeah, there's, again, there is some really good guys in the industry and there's people that I inspire to, to, to be in, in a sense. Like one of the big ones is Troy Joe Parrish and just the, the reason that he stands out is just because of the energy that guy has and the, the amount of work he puts in and the genuine, genuine authenticity of the guy really, really stand out to him. Obviously the good guys in the industry like Lane Norton, like them big guys, Eric Helms and stuff, I really look up to them. But in terms of like, uh, the people have pieces that I like from every every different person. It's just the reason that I mute people is because that's something that I'm working on a lot more of and that's my insecurities a little bit. And that's my, um, that's something that I'm trying to do some deep work on. But if, it, if that's going to protect my energy, that's what I need to do. So there's nothing against people. And what they, again, I'm not looking at other coaches for their content. I don't need to. I create good content. I make my own content. Most of the time, people copy my content. So I'm not looking at coaches to like steal ideas or anything. I, I'm generally looking at them because I know them. So when I mute people, it's just that I'm just going to take a back seat a little bit. No, don't need to see what you're doing. What you're doing is you're doing. What I'm doing is what I'm doing. So yeah, I definitely do look up to people in the industry. It's just that I don't really follow many people. Yeah, you don't have to justify the mute button to me. It's my favorite button. I, I, I go for it, the unfollow recently as well. I did have a moment where I was like, I think there's this, always this conflict of like, oh, what will they think if I unfollow them? And I think that most people wouldn't even realize if you did unfollow them. So I just kind of went through a little bit of a cathartic process of just clicking the unfollow button. And like you said, it comes down to protecting your energy ultimately. And it's almost in the sense of like, it doesn't mean I don't like you or agree with what you do. It just means that I don't need to see it on my Instagram feed as well. Do you have any other processes like that where you proactively protect your energy? In the sense of Instagram, I've been trying to stay off the explore page. Again, anything that I've ever found being triggered by something, I try and reduce it a little bit. So being trying to basically come on, do stories, post what I need to post and get off it. That's what I've been trying to do to protect my energy. Again, it's just like not comparing to other people and where they're at and understand that, you know, I'm only five years into my journey, which is a, like a smidgen of what we've got to bring. And I honestly always say that I am working at around no, not I am working at around 10%, but what we've done with our business or my business is we're just scratching the surface of what, what could happen with it. So I'm just being patient with it and being like, okay, I know that I'm not the best transformation coach in the world because I'm not a transformation coach. And let me just touch on that a little bit about like, um, that's something that I really struggled with is like being sat in the middle. So I'm not a full-blown prep coach or transformation coach but I'm not the other end of the spectrum where I go and get you adding 100 kilos to your squat I sit in the middle which isn't sexy but it's more realistic so we help real people get real results and that's where we sort of sit and I've really struggled with with that uh, over the last year or so being like okay but why do people choose me if, if I don't if I'm not that and I'm not that I sit here that's a little tangent but yeah I do try and protect my energy anyway especially through Instagram 
Mm. No, I, if, if I'm honest, I wanted to just actually touch on that. I think most people's goals sit somewhere within the middle, right? So I think realistically, most people might lean towards a uh, transformation coaches because they're like, oh, mind blowing results. So let me go towards that. It's almost like, I know if you're a business owner and there's like a, okay, do you want to earn a six figure amount and you want to earn a million per year? Everyone's like, ah, yeah, we'll go for the person who's going to make me millions. Whereas realistically, they might be better off with just saying, okay, how can I add an extra 2000 or 3000 to my earnings per month but it's not the sexy option but it's probably the one that's actually going to lead into more results and less insecurities less yeah mismatched expectations so yeah it's an interesting one but yeah it's a yeah i haven't considered that point of sitting in the middle but i think most people what they're looking for is somewhere in the middle i think people who are having 100 careers to their squat are the outliers the five or ten percent of people and same with people who are going to those extremes on the body transformation side of things so yeah i think you're sitting right where you need to be mate no i love that analogy of like again them two coaches that's just put it right to me but yeah it's, it's something i've really struggled with because again like our goal is to get people in really good shape that is subjective to them so you know we could get someone down with you know visible abs but we could push it a little bit further knowing that from our perspective we could go further with this but to them they're on top of the world and they don't need to go that extreme for what the outcome is going to be because at the end of the day as we said when we bring food back up we're probably going to look the same as what we look right now so i struggle with that and being like you know i know that and a lot of people this is probably down to the general public as well based success on how a picture looks for example which we know is not not the be all and end all and we don't know the story behind that and we know the extremes that people have to go to to get that position which i really when people see it i'm like oh my god that's amazing i, I look up to that and be like well, can you teach me how to do that but at the same time it's like yeah I, i'm in the middle my clients don't want to get there so i'm right where i need to be and i need to just keep keep uh, focused on that i think I love that message man i, love, I really really do and lewis what impact do you want to have on the health and fitness industry I want to get everyone performing at their best. And that's all I want to do. I want people to stop putting all the emphasis into their career or whatever and have balance and be able to feel confident in themselves like like I was and I am now. Be able to take your top off and feel the best that you can. Trust the process, enjoy the process and be really up for being the best in your body, in your mindset, in your lifestyle, in your business, in your relationship. Becoming the best human that you can be. Again, that's subjective, but we know what that sort of stands for. I love that. That's probably one of the most concise answers I've gotten as well. You seem very clear on your mission. Oh yeah, not enough. <laughs> exactly. Where's the best place for people to find you if they want to keep up to date with what you're doing? So standard one is Instagram, which is lewisneil underscore coaching. You can find me there. Uh, and then website is lewisneilcoaching.co.uk. I have got YouTube, which I'm trying to dip my toe back into. Again, that's sort of like I've been putting that off. So that's Lewis Neil. Easy. But yeah, Instagram's probably the best option for the best content. So yeah, go and check that out. Amazing. Well, thank you for your words of wisdom today. I really appreciate you coming off the show. Thank you, mate. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.